we are in uh, the book of Matthew. Uh, we've been there uh, throughout 2017. We got a ways to go, but we are doing well. Uh, one of the goals, uh, you know, kind of two overarching kind of complementary uh, goals. One is that deciding to preach through a gospel like this uh, has given us the opportunity to kind of get an overview of what, what this is about and what Christ came to do. Because uh, this, this has been rare. You know, we don't usually spend a whole year in one book like this. Uh, so the Gospel of Matthew, uh, one thing that happens in the midst of that, though, is that you don't get to skip around and just preach whatever you want to preach. Or it's for me or, if, uh, you know, there, when, you, when you're in the Gospel of Matthew and I say we're going to cover the entire thing, then you get to some passages you might say, hmm, I don't know. So this week I had many, several of you saying, okay, I've been reading 19. And I know what that means. This means like you, you're wondering what's up, what's going to happen. Uh, so I've been praying about that too. So we're going to see what's going to happen. The other thing that's kind of a goal of this is to understand overall what Matthew is trying to accomplish and applying that over and over again. And I've been doing that for you because the focus of Matthew is that Jesus is the king that Jesus is the authority, that Jesus is in control. And the language that we've used for this series is that we are in the Jesus-centered life. And so I've been asking you that over and over again. Is your life centered on Jesus? Now, that might be an easy answer for some of you, but it gets more difficult when you're really specific. So when you start talking about Jesus being uh, the center of your job, and how you spend your money, and what you do, and the relationships that you have. And nothing could be more important than what we're talking about today as far as, is Jesus the center uh, of your relationships? Now, there are three parts to Matthew 19. Uh, Matthew 19, Jesus addresses three kind of separate topics. So last week we did 18 and it was kind of a sermon and we looked at the various points that he had, uh, ending with that story about forgiveness. And we, we talked about forgiving and some uh, 70 or 80 people of you stood up and made decisions about forgiveness in relationship to receiving that from God or forgiving somebody in your life. I, I cried several times this week just listening to people say, I forgave and they told me a story. Uh, that is pretty amazing that that could happen in church like that. So let's see what God wants to do today. Three topics. The first one, Matthew 1 through 12, is about marriage, marriage and divorce. Um, we're going to make that the focal point of this message, so we're going to jump ahead and do the other two topics first. Uh, section 2 is Matthew 19, 13 to 15, little children and Jesus. Section 3 uh, the rich man in Jesus, Matthew 19, 16 to 30. So Matthew 19 is this chapter where we see Jesus responding to several topics that are brought to him. Um, and so we're going to look at these ideas and see them. Uh, the, the one overarching theme of the last two-thirds of Matthew 19, verses 13 to 30, is that salvation is impossible without the mercy of God. Salvation is impossible without the mercy of God. He's been talking to his disciples about going to the cross, what this salvation is going to look like, but he is reminding them that without a heart of humility, without a recognition of the mercy of God, that salvation is impossible. So however you've tried to find salvation and peace with God, it is only through the mercy of God that that is going to happen uh, for any of us. So Jesus... Uh, deals with these stories, Jesus with children, Jesus with the rich man. Um, they appear, the, these two stories, the story of Jesus welcoming the children. You remember that story where the disciples try to keep them, them away and Jesus says, let the children, let the little children come to me. So there's that story, that's in 13 to 15, and then um, the second story there is about the rich young ruler. You remember him? Uh, Jesus tells this story about the rich young ruler, and he comes... And he wants to receive eternal life. And Jesus gives him a, some direction about that, about uh, following the commandments and obeying. the. And uh, he says, I've done all those things. And Jesus is looking at his heart and says, you need, you need to go and sell everything. And he goes away sorrowfully. So these, th these two stories right there, they show up in, in Mark 
and Luke, as well as in Matthew, all three Gospels record them in exactly this order and the same way, which means that they all tell the story of the children followed directly by the story of the rich man. So there's got to be something to it, right? When you look at the gospel overall, and you got these three different times that they tell these two stories in correlation with each other, there's got to be something about that, uh, that, these, that these gospel writers and certainly the Holy Spirit wants us to see. And the point is that salvation is impossible without the mercy of God on our life. So we can, we can learn some things here. First of all, notice that when Jesus receives the children and Jesus rejects the rich man. Jesus receives the children and rejects. That's not the blanks. If you notice, there's a sentence up above that says who he's, who he's actually uh, receiving. We see him receiving the children. Now, uh, from chapter 18, you realize that he's still talking to them about this same issue. He talked about this a bunch in 18, and now he's coming back to it again. It seems like there was a question about that, and he wants the disciples to realize. So he receives the children and he rejects the rich man. I think the disciples thought it should have been reversed, right? They thought, oh, we don't need a bunch of children running around here. Uh, they're in the way. We got, we got the Messiah here. And the rich man, oh, we definitely need him. I mean, he's got funds to help us support our ministry and our traveling. Uh, they thought it was reversed. Reject the children. Receive the rich man. And Jesus flipped it. And he receives the children and rejects uh, the rich man. So what's the point? Point number one is that Jesus receives the humble, the humble, and he rejects the proud. Jesus receives the humble and rejects uh, the proud. So we, we see that uh, multiple times here where we see the, the truth of the previous chapter, which he said, whoever humbles himself will be like a child, and one, this one is the greatest in the kingdom of God, but he rejects the one that is, uh, that is proud. When this man comes, he claims to have kept all the commandments since his youth, uh, and Jesus, though, puts his finger on the real issue. Isn't that how Jesus works in your life? He's working on something, and you got something to say about it, and you're negotiating or you're trying to put yourself in the best possible light, and all of a sudden he points to something you wasn't even thinking about because he he's, he's pointing to something about what's going on in your heart uh, to bring about that change. That happens here. Uh, he says, go and sell all your belongings, give to the poor, and you have treasure in heaven, therefore come and follow me. The point to take away is not that this man would have been able to earn his eternal life uh, if he had only been willing to give up his possessions, his riches. Uh, deeper down, we can see that the rich man did not come to Jesus with humility, willing to do whatever it was that Jesus asked. If he had trusted Jesus, he would have gladly done whatever he asked him to do. Uh, but his heart was proud. He clung to his possessions and he walked away um, frighteningly and Jesus lets him go. So Jesus receives the, the children in humility and he rejects the proud. Um, some things that we can learn from, from this little section of scripture is, uh, first of all, that Jesus' um, children are important to the heart of Jesus. Children are important uh, to the heart uh, of Jesus. Matthew 18 talks about that. Now Jesus is very literally laying his hands on the children, blessing them, and talking about how important that they are. You know, we have children's ministry at our church, but we don't do it just because, you know, we think that's a good idea. We do that because children are the heart of Jesus. He loves our children. We were just talking. He loves our children when they're, when they're behaving, and he loves our children when they don't. You know, he loves your kids. You know, he gave you the kids that you have. To kind of do something to kind of straighten you out too. You know that, right? You know, sometimes you wonder, oh, how in the world did I get this one? Or what, what is God doing? How am I going to get this kid straightened out? Well, maybe it's more about you than about them. Think so? Might be. He loves our children. That's why we have kids on. Uh, that's why we don't babysit here. Uh, we're, we're not interested in just making it possible for you to be able to sit in this room and us kind of have daycare for kids. Not a chance. We're teaching the Bible to the littlest ones. You know, our structure here is that everybody has worship opportunities and everybody has teaching opportunities. So if you come here, I'm, you know, people think we're crazy. You know, we, most of us go to church three hours, Right? Right? 
I mean, that's what we do around here. You know, we, uh, we do education and study the scripture together, but I want you to notice that's what happens in the early childhood area as well. We have teachers in there right now that are teaching them Bible lessons. Uh, I love them. I hug them all when they come in and just tell them how much I appreciate what they're doing. Second hour, there's going to be music. Some of our music people go down there and they sing together. Um, we, you know, we have a, right now there's a 1030, I mean, there's a nine o'clock um, preteen worship service that is going on uh, right down there. Charlotte and her team are leading that. Our elementary students are in a classroom uh, with teachers. You know, we have classrooms for every single uh, grade. So the first graders are all together, and the second graders, and the third grade. Don't you love that? I mean, we built a building so we could do that. Uh, We could never do what we do for kids if we hadn't supported the building of this building. Uh, Because not only should we have a heart for children, but Jesus has a heart for children. So I don't know how you feel about tithing and giving and supporting the church, but you have to give here. I mean, you have to give because we have to take care of children. We, we have to care about these students. That's why we have a big old room back there. And we have a, a youth pastor. Right now we got two children's pastors. Good grief. I mean, I mean, we care about this stuff because Jesus cares about these things. Now, I could preach a lot more about that, but I got to move on. Um, so that, that's really important to the heart of Jesus, and it's su- such a responsibility for all of us. The second thing that's happening here with this rich man is that Jesus' call to salvation demands radical surrender. Radical surrender. Basically, what that means is that it's easy for you to begin to believe that the only thing expected of me in receiving Christ in salvation is to pray a prayer and, you know, go to church and, you know, do a few religious things, and that means I'm saved. That is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't say, check off that box on the communication card and you're good to go. No, the Bible says that salvation is a radical surrender of your life. Everything about you. Because if, if you don't realize that, if you keep coming to church, he's going to bug you about that until you surrender. He's not going to let you up. He doesn't want you just to have a very surface kind of spiritual thing going on in your life. He wants everything you got. He wants to be the absolute center of everything about your life. That's what he's saying. That was, that's what that conversation with the rich man was all about, is the total surrender of his life uh, to, to Christ is what eternal life and salvation uh, was all about. Um, so you okay with those two sections? We got those out of the way there. Now, we need to talk about marriage and divorce. Now, this passage will get your attention especially in relationship to uh, the culture around us. Um, A few years ago, I saw this magazine article. I can't remember the magazine, but it was a rhetorical question. And the question of the writer was, are there any persons left in our land who have not heard or experienced through a friend or a child or a family member or personally heard them describe the agony of divorce. Divorce is pandemic in the world, right? I mean, it's everywhere. Uh, To the point that hardly, I mean, I'm sure there's virtually nobody in this room that has not been impacted in some way by divorce. Would you nod your head? Do you think that's, you think that's true? Um, many marriages, uh, including sometimes Christian marriages, uh, have been seen as sort of a, a battleground where we, where we sort of slug it out uh, together. Uh, every year, the statistics show us that there are over a million divorces in the United States. And so that means there's two, pe- two million people that are messed up, plus all the millions of kids that are connected with those two million people. Uh, it's, re- it's remarkable. Every state in our union has no-fault divorce laws, making divorce almost as easy as getting married. Uh, so it's not surprising that the biggest caseload in our courts is family matters. Is that right? She's nodding her head, so she's telling me that's right. 
Um, you know, things have changed so much over the last few decades, haven't they? Um, you know, there used to be a sense of families coming together and fighting for marriages, and now it's so much easier. You know, there's been sort of a moral loss of that. Um, even families, you know, being able to stand together, um, you know, it's such a, such a, it just breaks your heart. It breaks your family. It tears us apart. Um, so, uh, you know, a lot of times today, even Christians, the Christians that I'm involved with in, in seeking guidance about marriage and divorce, so many times we come to God, we come to the church, we come to the scripture with sort of our own ideas about what, what needs to happen here. What, is, what does God have to say about uh, marriage and divorce? So I want us to walk through this. I kind of put my notes in the middle of the scripture, if you're following on the outline, so we can kind of read a little section and then talk about it together. Would you, would you be open to letting God impact you this morning about how you feel and how you choose to act about marriage and divorce? I think sometimes we already kind of settled our mind on it. I think if, you listen, if we listen to Jesus, because I didn't come to this class today <laughs> being the, thinking I had it all figured out. All I want to do is hear Jesus. What, what does he have to say that needs to impact how we deal with marriage uh, and divorce? Notice what he said. Here's how it starts. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? You ever know anybody that plays devil's advocate? I hate that term. I don't want to be devil's anything much less devil's advocate. Uh, that's kind of what these guys are doing, right? They're trying to trick him, trying to set him up. So I noticed uh, we, we got question one. Now notice the context, the setting of question number one. You heard the question, uh, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Now the context is, I, I, I thought, notice the nerve and the nature of this situation. Um, the nerve and the nature. Um, what, what's happening in this setting is that um, you, you got these guys here, and Matthew is giving us kind of this uh, concise expression of what is happening here. You see the geography that's listed, where they're going from here to there. And then it says in verse 2, large crowds followed him, and he healed them. I wanted to, My first question was, how large? I don't know. doesn't tell us. Uh, how many were healed? I don't know. It doesn't tell us. Matthew kind of leaves it sort of a vague description, but he doesn't say a leper was healed. He doesn't say a crippled man was healed. He said there were large crowds and he healed them. That's pretty impressive. Uh, he healed this large crowd and there, you, you can tell there's movement happening. Like he's, he's been in Galilee. Now he's in uh, the region of the Judea near the Jordan. Where's he going? He's going to Jerusalem. We're headed there, too, with him. We're headed to the cross. That's where he's going. And so in the midst of that, he's healing all these people. And, um, and, and in, do you see the nerve of it? I mean, goodness, here's Jesus. They've been watching him. He's done great miracles. And then he's healing all these people. And so they come to him, the Pharisees, and the, uh, they don't say, where do these miraculous powers come from? They don't say that. Uh, they don't say... Tell us more about this death and resurrection that you're talking about. Help us understand. Nope. Can we divorce for any and every reason? The nerve of them. Right? Like, what is wrong with these people? They're not thinking about what's happening out here. Here they are trying to trick him. And how do I know that? That's kind of the nature of it. You notice it because of words like the Pharisees came to him to test him. Uh, it could just as easily be translated, tempt him. So they're coming here. That's the nature of what they're doing. Um, they have this super spiritual attitude, and here they come slithering up to Jesus. You like that? They're, here they come. They're up to, up to Jesus. Uh, maybe you've seen that before in some people who they don't really want to talk about what Christ can do. 
They want to talk about something controversial, something difficult. It's probably, it might be the person you're trying to get uh, to lead to Christ. And, oh, they don't want to talk about that. They, they want to talk about evolution or some, something else, you know, whatever. Uh, that's what these guys are doing. So they got this tricky question uh, that, they're, that they're bringing to him. Now, so question number one is, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Now, answer number one from Jesus, uh, we see in beginning with verse four down through verse six. He says, haven't you read? Don't you love that? <laughs> I don't think he's mocking them, but almost. <laughs> Haven't you read? These are the Pharisees. They know the scripture. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. The answer is brilliant and beautiful. All of Jesus' answers in these type of trick questions throughout the Bible uh, are always beautiful things that you can come back to over and over again. First, I want you to notice how Jesus answered this question. He went to the Bible. Shocking, right? He went to the Bible. We, we've seen him do this before where he answers a question. Uh, we see him being tempted by the devil in the desert in Matthew 4. We saw that. Remember his response? It is written. It is written. It is written over and over again responding. Uh, Jesus went uh, to the Bible uh, to answer this question. Uh, he is um, speaking out using Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Uh, he says like he's offering a question to the questioners. He says, are you, so, uh, are you so knowledgeable that you somehow have forgotten the basics? He, uh, you know, I'm going to show you in just a few moments that their question kind of rises out of a verse from Deuteronomy that Moses was talking about. Uh, it's, it's on the outline. We'll see it in a minute. But what he's doing is saying, okay, let's, let's not talk first about that. Let's make sure we have the foundation. Let's go back to Genesis. Let, let's see what, uh, what Genesis has to say. You've forgotten the A of the ABCs uh, of the Bible because in the garden, in the beginning, there was no provision for divorce, right? He married them. Adam and Eve. He brought them together. Uh, and so he's coming and answering this question. Uh, he's talking about, uh, basically he quotes uh, from Genesis 1.27 in verse 4 and from Genesis 2.24 in verse 5 uh, where he says, uh, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. There's all this unity language, right? Union together, one flesh, no longer two, but one. What God has joined together, uh, let no one separate. So he's, he could have talked about a lot of things, right? He could, have, he could have talked about how God made them in his image. There's a lot of topics that are important about sexuality and all kinds of things. But his answer is in relationship to one thing, that the Bible teaches unity of marriage that we are brought together. And notice, not only did he answer from the Bible, but he makes sure that the focus is not on me and you. The focus is on God. Who brought them together? Jesus says he should know, right? I, I, don't, I don't know what his perspective is, but it's pretty obvious that he knows that the Father brought the two of you together. You with me? I don't know if you agree with that. Maybe you've got stuff piled up. Uh, but God, if you are married, God brought you together. That's what Genesis says. Uh, I know y'all met down there or you were online or I don't know where you met, all this stuff, you know. But God is providential. God is in control of, of our lives. And whatever choices you made, you only made it in response to what he was doing. You with me? Say amen. Huh? That's what it teaches right here. So this is not only about God, this, I mean about the Bible, but about 
us, that God is reminding us that he is the focus, that God is the one that has brought us together. God has joined us together, the scripture says. So Jesus gives a very high view of God's involvement in these relationships. I mean, it's the ultimate and the beginning of e-harmony. It's just that the E stands for Elohim. That's the Old Testament word for God in the book of Genesis. You like that? It's the truth. Forget all that other stuff. It's God. He's the one that brings us together. And that's Jesus' answer. Uh, so at first, Jesus goes to the Bible for the answer, and then he is focused on the creation. The answer for divorce, their question, is the divinely inspired purpose that God has for marriage. It's brilliant. It's beautiful. All right. Um, you can flip it over. We'll look at, uh, we got question number two and answer uh, number two. So in four through six, uh, he, he's given uh, the first answer, and then they say, uh, okay, let's read. First of all, the, the verse from Deuteronomy that I referred to is Deuteronomy 24.1. Uh, this is from Moses, and it says, If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house. So this is the one they're debating. This is the little interpretation. See, the interpretation, basically they had a conservative interpretation and they had a liberal interpretation. So you kind of find out where you land on that. The conservative was that the focus was on the idea of something being indecent. So their focus was if the, if the wife, uh, I don't know, you know, for, for the sake of our discussion, we're going to say the man and the wife, all right? So we're going to drag all the men right into this because it's uh, not clear how they were referring to that. But definitely, they're talking about something bad happening, something indecent that was done. The liberal side was, uh, notice how that verse says, he finds something indecent. Well, the something, or sometimes translated anything, uh, is like, well, if she's just not quite as pretty as this other girl I see, then I'm going to get rid of her. And, uh, you know, that's, that was their discussion about that. So you see what's happening. He, they're asking him twist, questions, trying to trick him to be on one side. Well, he doesn't agree with Moses or, uh, he, you know, trying to figure out if, if they can trick Jesus into taking one of those positions. Uh, so that's the background of what they're talking about. So here's the second question. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce uh, and send her away. Now, Jesus comes along to this question and he offers, I would say, two corrections and then a command. The first correction that he gives, notice they say, why then did Moses command? Uh, he tells them right away, Moses didn't command anybody to be divorced. He simply said, uh, Jesus replied, Moses permitted you uh, divorce. Uh, so the first correction is that Moses didn't command it, but he allowed it. Um, uh, it's sort of like, it's sort of like uh, having a vehicle. I, you know, I've, I've, I've looked in my manual occasionally, you know, and I, I have a nice vehicle, and it tells me some things about taking care of my car and all that, but um, there, there's nothing in the manual that says you should avoid accidents, this is how you should avoid, you know, you shouldn't, you know, they don't explain, don't, you know, that you're supposed to know that already. Don't buy a car if you don't know to stay in your lane or to don't drive too closely or, you know what I'm saying? You know, we don't, we don't talk about it like that. We talk about it in terms of how should we do it. We don't talk about it how to, you know, how to, now your parents probably do when they're driving with you and you're learning to drive and then they're driving you crazy and making it, yeah. um, but once you get your license, they usually begin to let you go, and nobody talks to you about getting in an accident until you get in the wrong lane and bump somebody, and then you're crying on the side of the road. Right? I would. What it does is talks about how to do it, how to do it correctly. Well, that's what's happening with Moses here. Moses is not, um, you know, he, he's recognizing that some people are getting in car wrecks, so we need to do something about that and help them. 
marriages aren't all going well. Just because Genesis said we still have this problem of divorce happening and there being brokenness, and especially in relationship to women here, where men are just dropping their wives for any reason they come up with. And he's saying, okay, we got to do something about that. So it says that Moses permitted there to be divorce in some, that's what he's talking about right here. This is what gets so confusing about this scripture, isn't it? I'm trying to figure out what, he, what he's talking about here. So Moses didn't command, like in my words, go wreck your car and get a new one. Rather, he says that all car wrecks uh, are, need to be addressed and that we need to find some rules of the road. How are we going to do that? So Jesus comes along and offers this correction that Moses didn't command divorce to happen. He allowed it. And his second correction is, why did he allow it? Notice, it says, Moses permitted you to divorce. First of all, notice how personal it is. Uh, I could say, Moses permitted you to get a group. Your hearts were what? Your hearts are hard. There's something wrong with you. There's sinfulness that's all wrapped up in there. Your heart is not tender and open toward God. Your heart is hard. But it, not, but it is not this way from the beginning, Jesus says. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So you see the your and the you. Jesus doesn't say our because it didn't apply to him. You notice Jesus, Jesus never got married. You know, he's, he was focused on uh, the mission that he came. He, he gave that up. He's saying, but this, these things happen because of the hard-heartedness that's in your life, the hard-heartedness that's in your family. Marriage is not the problem. Our hearts are the problem. Okay, I'm not going to say anything much better than that right there. It's not about what I believe about marriage simply. It's about the hardness of my heart. How do, how do I feel about allowing God to help us together in our relationship? So you take away the disease of hard-heartedness and all of a sudden you don't have to have divorce laws and divorce attorneys and divorce courts and divorce settlements. So it, it's as if Jesus turns to us and says, oh, okay, I, if that were only the case with my people. If my people, when they think about marriage, wouldn't think of Deuteronomy first, but they would think of Genesis first. Come on now. Let's not think about the exceptions first. Let's think about what Jesus wanted first and to decide how we're going to view marriage from that. That's what he's telling them. Um, verse 8 and 9, Jesus gives these corrections and then the command. Um, the command is, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality marries another commits adultery. So we, we heard this. We heard this command. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's surprising. I mean, Jesus is offering this allowance for divorce. If, you know, I think he could have said, if you follow me, let's go back to Genesis and there won't be any divorce. That, uh, that's not going to be acceptable. But he doesn't do that. You know, Jesus is so full of grace for us, isn't he? So full of grace uh, to help us even with an issue like that. So he's trying, to, he's trying to balance out. He hates divorce, but he allows for it. I'm going to come back to that. But the, 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 the surprise kind of at this is, the, is Jesus' authority. Notice um, he, he's in this argument or in this question over and over. He says, the Bible says, and the Bible says, and I say to you. Let me tell you something. When Jesus says something, that's all that matters. doesn't matter what the president says or what your grandma said. I love all those people. I'm telling you, they're great and they're fine. But if Jesus said it, that's what matters. Because what Jesus says, what the Bible says, what God has to say, that's how we have to think. That's how we have to live. That's why we got to be not biblically illiterate. we got to be uh, people that study the Bible and read the Bible. And that's why we try to do that, uh, to do that here. So now he's got this little exception clause. The exception clause, uh, he says, whoever divorces his wife, marries another, commits adultery. Uh, Jesus is really clear here. To divorce your spouse and marry another is to commit adultery. That, that behavior is clearly against Christ's uh, command. So this gets to be really difficult uh, for us. He's talking about sexual immorality, 
uh, talking about sexual relations outside of the marriage relationship. Uh, he uses phrases like adultery. Adultery is basically tearing apart the one flesh. We are one flesh, and now we've been torn apart. Um, you know, Jesus is recognizing that, that that's what is going to bring about death to uh, a marriage. Uh, is adultery the only exception? Well, it is here. But we also know, and I printed for you there, uh, 1 Corinthians 7.15, Paul says, but if the unbeliever leaves, he's talking about believer, unbeliever in this marriage breakdown, let it be so. The brother or sister is not bound by such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. So basically that is a statement about abandonment. Uh, so adultery uh, and abandonment become these, uh, these exceptions. Uh, so does the sin... Of adultery, does the sin, sexual immorality, does even abandonment, does it mean automatically that you should get divorced? Yes or no? Definitely not. See, he he has a different perspective about this. Have you ever met anybody that was uh, in an adulterous relationship and they stayed married? Don't raise your hand because it might be you. I've known a few. Uh, is it's really difficult. But the command is not that you have to get divorced for any reason. Because our filter is not what the world is saying. Our filter is Jesus. I'm going to come back to that when we do our application here at the, at the very end. So what's happening is that Jesus is giving us a higher view of uh, of marriage. Now notice what happens. Uh, verse 10, the disciples said to him, if this situation between a husband and a wife is, it is, is better not to marry. Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only those who, whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs. Now eunuchs would be people that chose to be single. That, that's why he uses that example. Uh, who were born that way, or there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, or there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. So his, the turning the corner is, he, he, he turns and begins to talk about singleness, not just marriage. Because what he wants us to realize is that the issue is not, uh, how do I feel about this person in my life or what has been done? But the issue is, how do I feel about the kingdom of God? And am I living out my marriage, my relationships, single, married, divorced, whatever? Am I living out my life in relationship to the kingdom of God? You look a little wide-eyed here. I'm thinking, um, so let, let's, let's we'll do two things. We'll talk about how we can apply the truth and then make some specific application. What Jesus is talking about is that God created marriage. God created marriage. It's his idea, and it's defined by God, one man, one woman. Like, this is not a passage necessarily about homosexuality, or, but, it, but it gives us a clarity about the definition of marriage. He said God created it, one man, one woman, together, united together by him, uh, under a covenant with God. Secondly, God hates divorce. Um, we recognize that from what we hear, read here, we're recognizing that um, Jesus believed that divorce is usually the result of sin by somebody. That's, for, that's probably 100% true, don't you think? That divorce is the result of sin on someone. I'm not saying you. I'm not saying, I don't know. But hard-heartedness, um, adultery, you know, all these, all these different issues that God hates divorce because sin is what, what creates the environment for that to happen. Then, thirdly, God gives us guidance and grounds for divorce. He talks about adultery and about abandonment. Uh, but what I want you to see here is that God redeems divorce. No amens? God redeems divorce. Uh, we, we struggle with all this, but uh, we recognize that God is in the, the desire to bring about uh, healing uh, in our relationships. Uh, you know, the church, churches struggle with this sometimes, right? I know many people that when they're, when they're getting divorced, uh, they leave the church, and then they eventually try to find their way back. Would you say that's true? So many times. 
you know, instead of running to the church, we sort of run away from the church because we wonder how the church is going to deal with us, how the church is going to feel about us. Now, I'm not promoting divorce at all. I just want to tell you, divorce is not an unpardonable sin. Amen? I mean, divorce is a sin just like all the others. They're not a bunch of categories, and that you get to put yourself in the worst category if you sin. Now, if you think I'm encouraging you to, to get divorced, you know I'm not. What I'm encouraging you is that no matter what happens to you, God loves you. God has a plan and a de desire to work in your life. He doesn't want divorce to happen, but he does not kick you to the curb just because you got divorced. And that seems because the church can't be like that, right? We got to be redemptive. I mean, we got to be redemptive to people that are homosexual, right? I mean, we got to be people that are redemptive to people that do things that we really don't like, that we don't approve of. But that doesn't mean that we just kick them out, right? We recognize that divorce has been redeemed by God. He even gave a recognition that that could happen. That's not his plan for us. So we, we have to take some steps. Now, I wrote some things down for you here. Um, here here's like our application because i got to get done with this, I know. Uh, are you with me today? You understand? You, you're feeling what God is talking to us about here today because I'm going to ask you something right here at the end. So a couple things. If you're going to apply this, think about it. If you are single... What Jesus wants you to do is to maximize your singleness for his kingdom. Make your singleness not the center of your life. Make Jesus the center and then you live your life for the kingdom of God. I got two children uh, that are not married yet. I wonder if one of them is, I'm going to tell you which one, but I wonder if one of them is ever going to get married. <laughs> now she's beautiful, but she ain't got no time for it. She, she, she kind of likes dating and having a, having a little boyfriend or something, but if she's watching, I'm so sorry, honey. I apologize. <laughs> but it's okay with me if she's single for her whole life because I know one of the reasons that she is is because she is absolutely surrendered to working in the kingdom of God and making God's work happen where she's planted and where she is. I'm okay with that. We should be like that. Don't be so uptight about single people. Let them be single, right? We're, we're like eHarmony. You know, we're trying to work, and work this out and let them be single. If that's what God called them to be, you all right? Okay, number, if you're married, love your spouse in a way that truly portrays the gospel. What he's saying here is get your mind and your heart right about marriage. Love that spouse. Do, don't live in a sinful relationship that is all messed up that ends you leading up into divorce. Be totally surrendered to God, both spouses. I mean, I've, once in a while, you know, I've, I tell you, I've never had two sold-out people to Christ come to me and say, we can't work this out. Almost always they're saying, we're in trouble, and we need to do something about this, and we believe God can help us. Can you help us? Right? Am I telling the truth? Uh, but if one of them is off over here, and has walked away from Christ, and is living some kind of sinful life, or has just decided they're not going to work this thing out, then it's so difficult, right? Maybe all of you have been there and been around that. So we got to surrender to what God says about marriage. Number three, if you are considering divorce, keep your eyes on the power of Jesus to restore. If you're thinking about that, remember the gospel. Remember that before he said this, he's up there healing these large crowds. You could have been in it. He can heal you. He can change things. He can save your marriage. Don't give up on Christ. Give him every chance. And I'm talking to y'all because one of these days, you're going to be in some situation and maybe you start thinking about divorce. Don't do it. Give him a chance. Let him work and heal. Huh? Your marriage is not going to be perfect. Have, the right, have the, whole, the right spirit about that. You, you with me? Amen on all that? Yeah. Okay. Um, if you're divorced for a biblical reason, rest and trust either in your singleness or your marriage. You know, it, it's okay. 
Uh, you can find rest in him. Uh, and, and many times we try to figure all that out. What were the reasons and why and why is this happening? Last one. If you're divorced for an unbiblical reason, repent, be healed, and choose to reflect the glory of God either in your singleness or your current marriage. You know, he didn't, Jesus didn't say, get rid of that new spouse and go back to the old one. You know, you know we don't hear that. He just says, repent. Repent. <laughs> oh, my. Um, I just felt like today that we should all repent. Right? I mean, I don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you struggled with your perspective about marriage. Maybe you're sitting in here right now. And if I made you a little uncomfortable today, I didn't do it. Jesus did. I didn't write that. He did. I'm just trying to figure out what he's saying, and I hope you're trying to figure out what he's saying to you. So let, let's, let's, de- let's decide that we're going to have the right attitude and understanding about marriage. Because the culture and the movies and the television shows and all the stuff out in the culture around us is not giving us the right answer. Right? I mean, you can hear it in the music. You can hear it, see it all over the place. We got to decide that marriage is intended to be lasting and that we got to do everything that we can to save our marriages. Amen? You know, we can repent of things that we've done wrong. You know, I honestly, I love her, but I am not a perfect husband. <laughs> I mean, I, we've been doing this 35 years, and I had a lot of learning to do. I would say she would admit that too, that we had a lot to learn. We were pretty self-centered when we got married, even though we were trying to think about ministry and all that. You know, I've had to apologize to her a bunch of times. So I, I repent. I'm, I'm sorry about the negative things, but I want things to be better. I want to have the right attitude. I want, to, I want to work at my marriage. I want to make that thing work. I'm, I'm going to do everything I can. I don't want to be sinful in the way I think about things or the way I act in messing up my marriage. You with me? Maybe you're divorced, and maybe that's really a struggle for you. Um, let, let, let Jesus heal you. Don't live the rest of your life in bondage to circumstances that happen or problems that even if you were in the wrong maybe you weren't but even if you were he's so forgiving did you notice that this conversation about marriage happened right after he gave this whole big old explanation about forgiveness well I'll forgive her three times maybe no forever 70 times 7 which he's not even counting Always forgiving, forever. That's what he offers to you. See, I think one of the reasons he's so nuts about um, marriage and what it's about is that he describes his relationship with us as a marriage covenant. And I'm telling you what, he will never commit adultery on you. He will never stick you to the curb. He will always be there. And that's why he's so interested in us staying together. We could maybe repent as church. Maybe us, maybe just church in general. Because the church has been really negative over the years to a lot of people that are divorced. You agree with that? We gotta be careful about that. We can't just push people to the side. We gotta we gotta support and we gotta be a redemptive community for them. So I think Jesus says. Um, let me be the center of your life. So is Jesus the center of your marriage? I'm not even just talking about the physical relationship, the center of your perspective about marriage, that you look at your marriage through the eyes of Jesus in everything that you do. That, that's what he's asking for us. This little song says, um, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. You know, most time people think, well, that means he's going to bless me and give me these things. Nope. If you seek first the kingdom of God, then you have a chance for your marriage to be right. If you're looking at it through self-centered eyes, if you're looking at it through my hurt, oh my goodness. If your hurt is the center of your hub, 
oh my goodness, what problems you're going to have, right? Because everything that I'm looking at, I'm looking at through this pain, through this hurt. And no wonder our marriage can't work. But if you look at your marriage through the eyes of Jesus, through what he's teaching, if we make that decision to decide that we're going to repent of our cultural ways, and at least as a church, as believers, that we're going to look at our relationships, how we view marriage and divorce through the eyes of Jesus, you got a chance. That's what he wants. Uh, could, so could we... Uh, yeah, I got to shut up. Let's, uh, we just need to pray because I get you out of here so I can preach this again. But um, are, are you with me today? I didn't come in here today to be like the expert at it. All I wanted you to do is just to, to, to see what he said and to think about how you might apply that because maybe your marriage could be saved today because you changed your mind. Because maybe you realize how much he wants your marriage to stay together. How much he wants to heal you. And when those problems come up, that you will have decided. I'm not thinking about it the way the culture does. I'm listening to the voice of Jesus. So can we bow together? Oh, man. Lord, this is, a, this is like a loaded gun, man. <laughs> Just so much in here for us to talk about and we could have talked another hour about this whole thing but as as we leave here in a few minutes Lord would you help all of us to have an openness that in our attitudes and in our actions that we look at the we look at marriage the way you look at it you you permitted divorce in 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 some ways and some problems and you certainly don't want women that are being beaten to be staying in. No, you don't want all that, Lord. You, don't want, you want us just to see this through redemption and unity and us coming together to do the best that we can. To not be thinking about how to wreck our car, but to think about how to make it the most meaningful relationship that you could give to us. So wherever we are today, single living our life for you, young people here in this room making decisions about choices they're going to make. Help us to think about the kingdom of God. Help our vision, our thinking, our awareness to look at things through the eyes of Jesus. You bring us into the place where we are, whether we're single or married. If we're married, you brought that person into our life. So we pray that you would help us to find redemption from our hurt and brokenness, maybe from divorce that's already happened to us, but that you would just continue to walk with us and bring us to a place of, of your redemption and your forgiveness that you offer to all of us. We praise you together, Lord, and we ask that you would change us in Jesus' name. Everybody said together, amen.